Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast. Today we're hearing from Pastor Eric Hansen, Senior Leader of Destiny Church. In this message, Pastor Eric begins our Christmas series, The Prince of Peace. Following the message, take a look at the episode description where you can find scripture references, as well as helpful links to learn more about the ministry of Destiny Church. Well, Christmas is upon us, and our Christmas holiday a sermon series entitled Prince of Peace begins today. And I'm going to read to you um, out of the book of Isaiah, promise, a prophecy. And I was just going to read a couple verses, and I'll get to those in a second here. But uh, leading up to that, this is in Isaiah chapter 9. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress in the past. He humbled the land, Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. This is 800 BC is when this promise was given. And they have seen a great light. This is prophetically speaking about Jesus. Uh, Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has now dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, when men rejoice as like when dividing the plunder. I like that line a lot. For as the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke, the the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God is the anointing, and and burdens them. This is verse number four. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be the fuel for the fire. Isaiah chapter nine, verse number six. For unto us a child is born, To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with righteousness and justice. From that time on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Father, Thank you for the promise of your word given to us about Messiah, about Jesus, given, Lord, hundreds and hundreds of years before his birth. Thank you, God, for your word, which is true, your word, which is without fault and without error. We trust you. We stake our lives upon your word, and we thank you for the promise of peace. In Jesus' name, amen. For unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given, and the government, oh, won't that be a glorious day. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and there it is, the Prince of Peace. In the Bible, there are 5,467 promises, 5,000 promises, 5,467 promises. When you have kids, you make lots of promises, right? And the the biggest, most audacious promise ever made is the pinky swear. Have you ever made the pinky swear promise? Like I promise, pinky swear, that's that's bigger than cross your heart. I mean, on the scale of of promises, pinky swear is bigger than cross your heart. Could hope to die, I mean, who does that? Stick a needle in your eye. Anybody know that one? 
That's why pinky swear is better. <laughs> well, God does more than pinky swear. He has given a prophetic word here in Isaiah chapter 9 that there is coming one who is the Prince of Peace. The prophet foretold it. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the Sar, S-A-R, the Sar of Shalom, the Prince of Peace. What does it mean as he's the prince? That means he's not the king? No, that's not what that means. It means that he is the captain, the chief, the general, the governor. These are, these are synonyms used in the translation of the Hebrew where you see this word Sar. These are other words given that also define the word prince. And the best is the last, the Lord and keeper of peace. You ever seen a peacekeeper? He's more than a prince. He's gonna keep the peace. He's gonna bring the peace, and he's gonna keep the peace. So he is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the Lord and keeper of peace is just as good of a translation as the prince of peace. Now you may be familiar with an old axiom that says no God, no peace, no God, no peace, yes? Some of you are unaware, but it's the spelling that is true. To know God, K-N-O-W, is to K-N-O-W, no peace. But if you don't know God, you only have a counterfeit. Well, wait a second, I'm here today, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I seem to be at peace. Well, it's a counterfeit peace. It comes and it goes. It waxes and it wanes. I'm talking about a peace that even in the midst of the storm, you have an internal persuasion of your eternal destination that regardless of slings and stones and arrows and pestilence by night, that you can sing songs while chained to the prison floor. That's the type of peace that God can bring you. You buy a new car and you park it out away from everybody else for a while and then pretty soon you start parking close to everybody else. Why do you do that? It's because somebody along the way dinged your door. And what happens? You lose your peace, right? You lost your peace. Uh-huh. That's an artificial peace. You bought it and it went. But God says, I have a peace that the world can't give. I have a peace. I'm gonna give you something that the world is unable to give you. This is what we're talking about. He is the Lord and the keeper of peace. He is the chief peace keeper. Three things I want you to know. Number one, first of all, the angels declared it. Now, this is a great Old Testament reference in Isaiah chapter nine, but as you fast forward all the way to the fulfillment of the prophecy in Luke chapter two, the Christmas story, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and everyone went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. The whole story unfolds, and then you have the shepherds abiding, and and then the wise men, but there's also another principal player, players in that story, that come, and they are the angels that come and visit the shepherds. Verse number eight, and there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angelos of the Lord appeared to them, a messenger of the Lord, and they said, glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were terrified. Of course they were. We all are when that happens. But when the angel said to them, first thing the Lord always tells us is, hey, don't be afraid, don't worry. I'm bringing you good news 
of great joy, which will be for all people today in the town of David, Bethlehem, a Savior is born to you, and he is the Christos, he is the Lord. And he is, here's the sign, you'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in the manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, wait a second, Glory to God, and the very first thing they want you to know is, hey guys, don't be afraid. We're talking about peace here. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men, or peace to whom men on whom God's favor rests. So the angels declared it. We had the Old Testament prophetic word that he's going to be the peacekeeper, the bringer and keeper of peace. And the very first thing that the angels said when they appeared to the shepherds Their first utterance was, he's gonna bring peace. But Jesus not only uh, fulfilled that, he declared that. In John 14, he said of himself, peace I leave with you. I'm going, but I'm gonna leave something with you. Peace, my peace I give you. Now, what I'm gonna give you is not what the world gives you, so don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. If the world gives you something, the world can take it from you. If you find your happiness in something else, when that thing is taken, you don't have that joy anymore. When you have happiness because of something, and then that thing isn't there anymore, there's no more happiness. God says, I'm gonna give you a peace. This internal persuasion of who you are, to whom you belong, and the expectation of your eternal destination, and because I give it to you, you can be under terrorist attack. You can be standing in the bankruptcy line. You can be waiting in the cancer waiting room. Is anybody listening to me this morning? And you can still have peace. The angels declared it, the prophets foretold it, Jesus said it of himself right here, And then the Apostle Paul affirmed it. In Ephesians chapter two, he says, for he himself is our peace. He is our peace. That's why you don't have to go looking for peace. He is your peace. He's your, I need peace. Well, then you need Jesus. I need more peace. You need more Jesus. And he came and he preached what? Peace, verse 17, to you who were far off, and peace to those who you were near. And that promise means three things. This is what I really love about the promise of peace. Number one, he is the ruler over chaos. Write that down. When he is your peace, and he is the keeper of the peace, he is the ruler over chaos. And I picked the word chaos on purpose because we all just live through Thanksgiving. I mean, I felt the avalanche, didn't you? Coming, it was Monday, and then it was Tuesday, and then the crush of Wednesday, and anyone that ever dares travel to the west side of, of this city on a holiday needs to have their head examined. But I did anyway, which tried to steal my peace, because it just seems like all the rookie drivers are out. Like they don't, I don't even know what they're doing. During the week, during a normal week, us well-seasoned, well-traveled drivers are out there, but all the rookies are out. And they're not paying attention because they're, 
They're looking at their phone. They're looking at the Black Friday deals. They're just all over the place. Oh, look, look, look. Let's go over there. <laughs> Steal your piece. And then, of course, we had 28, 30 people for Thanksgiving dinner. Mayhem. With a capital M. I don't know. There's probably eight or ten kids all under the age of maybe seven or eight. Loud, noisy, obnoxious. I'm the pastor, so I'm the token prayer when it comes time to pray. So it's like my, my mom, who's the matriarch, she's large and in charge, and she's Eric, and she gives me the nod like, you know, she's like the Holy Spirit. Eric, now's the time to pray. So, I mean, but there's a, there's a cacophony. It's just out of control, and everybody's everywhere. There's a din where we get the word, where we get, actually get the English word dinner. Dinner, this loud cacophonous sound is din, is a din. But anyways, so there's this, it's, just, it's just loud, and, and my mom gives me the, okay, Eric, time to pray. So, what do I do? Hey, hey, quiet down, come on over here. And slowly, the chaos settled. How did it do that? Somebody spoke a word. Peace. Get over here. We're going to pray. And we did. Now the Thanksgiving is past. We are in the throes of American commercialism between now and Christmas. I mean, it's, it's chaotic. He is the ruler over chaos. I'm going to implore you. Don't fall for the trap this year. It's still early in the season, so just take a deep breath. Don't fall for the chaos. Don't get anxious, and just know there is a keeper of the peace, and his name is Jesus. And when you sense that your peace is beginning, like the, it's like the devil comes and unscrews your big toe, and just slowly it just starts dripping, oozing out of him before you know it. Your legs are concrete, and you, you're just not enjoying it. I think you should enjoy a celebration of Jesus. So he is the ruler over this. Because he is the prince of peace, he is the peacekeeper, the general in charge. He is the ruler over chaos, conflict, confusion, disorder, pandemonium, all the stuff that happens when your family shows up or whatever. We are, we are, we are, we position ourselves with super high expectations. And I'm saying, why don't you have an expectation of peace this year and you will certainly meet it then. If the, if the presents don't get quite wrapped, if the right thing doesn't get purchased, if the tree doesn't get up, if the decorations fall and break, if the bread burns and the rolls burn and the turkey whatever, you still have the Prince of Peace. Don't let, listen to me, don't let the chaos that's about to ensue steal you of your peace. Genesis chapter one. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the earth and of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse three, and God did what? Spoke a word. It was chaotic, it was dark, it was swirling, there was nothing, and, 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 and all of a sudden, the Lord just said, let there be light, just by speaking the word. 
Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter four, Mark chapter eight, what was going on? This is where Jesus came to the disciples in the storm. What did he say to them in both instances as recorded? He simply said a word, peace. Peace be still. It's easy to lose your peace, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't realize who the grand keeper of your peace is. Well, I'm just gonna be hard. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be determined. I'm gonna be nice this year. I'm gonna be kind and be patient this year. I'm, I'm not gonna let that stuff get to me. And you're trying to rule and reign over your own life. How about you let Jesus rule and reign in a larger manner over your life? You put him first in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, in your family, and everywhere that you go. You say, God, I'm gonna have peace. You're gonna be the Lord. You're gonna be the peacekeeper over this holiday for me. You need a word. I need a word. That word that he speaks, which is peace. So why did Jesus come and he preach? Why did he do that? John 16, if you've never seen this before, it says this. I have come and told you these things so that in me you may have peace. John 16, 33. Why did he come? I've come and told you these things so that you can have peace. Okay. Well, what is peace? Jesus is peace. He is the prince of eternal authority and compassionate embrace. I know that doesn't flow real well, but that's what I came up with in making this acronym. And I think it's apropos because the first half talks about him being strong and eternal and all of those things, but peace is the authority and, and the compassion, there it is, the compassionate embrace. Where do we find a compassionate embrace? You will find it all throughout scripture, but the one that's highlighted to us this morning, I feel is in Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus, and he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you've answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of a robber. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, half, left him half dead. A priest happened to be going down, crossed to the other side, didn't want anything to do with it. So too, a Levite, when he came, saw it, passed on the other side, didn't want anything to do with it. Here it is, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him he went to him and he bandaged up his wounds. I don't know if you realize this, but bandaging up someone's wounds, pouring in the oil and the wine, and putting that man on the donkey who was laying in the ditch for dead means that you're going to have to have a compassionate touch, a compassionate embrace. That, that Samaritan brought peace to that man in the ditch. Like, heal yourself, here's some gauze, wrap that around that, here's some wine and oil, pour that on there. Now get yourself up, and then I want you to jump and leap and throw yourself like a bag of potatoes over the back of my donkey. Uh-uh, that's not what happened. He held him, and he picked him up. And I'm sure he was bloody. I mean, they beat him, he's left for dead, so now I got, I have, my clothes are bloody. 
His blood, his injury is now my injury. And I'm going to take care of his bill. And I'm going to put him, listen, I'm going to pick up this guy on the side of the road that stinks and smells and his dirty, soiled jeans. And he's going to come and he's going to sit on the front seat of your rich Corinthian leather. See, we just contextualized it now is what we've done. Oh, it's easy to, 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 to look back and say, oh, yeah, you know, the man on the back of a donkey. But if, if this is for us. The compassion and touch that we are able to bring to other people and bring peace to them through this compassion and embrace is what God wants us to share. So the promise of peace means, number one, he's the ruler of chaos, the ruler over chaos. Number two, that he brings shalom. He brings peace. Now, you gotta understand that when you and your spouse have an argument and you stop arguing, whether it's the silent treatment or you're just done, there just may not still be peace in the house. I'm telling you that the absence of conflict is not necessarily peace. Do you agree with that? Think about that. You've been in the same room with someone that you've got an attitude with You're not saying anything. Anybody observing from a distance would say, oh, there's peace in that room. But in your heart, there's no peace. In that other person's heart, there's no peace. There's still an internal conflict. This peace that he brings is more than an absence of conflict. It means that you are whole, you are complete, you are sound. There's a well-being and not merely the absence of conflict, but a peace. A peace that goes beyond your understanding. What that says in Philippians is this. And the peace of God, there it is, which transcends. Transcends, if something is transcendent or it transcends, it means it goes above your intellect. It goes above your ability to comprehend. So this peace of God goes above what you could understand. It transcends all understanding. And here's what it does. It guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. What that does then, it positions you to be reconciled with him when you're at peace with him. The word shalom in Hebrew, I think it's beautiful looking as well. Four letters, and you're reading from right to left, shin, lamed, vav, mem, shalom. It means that you have wholeness, completeness, soundness of body, mind, and soul, and that you can be reconciled to God. So, I mean, reconciliation is not something, it's not a term we use a lot in our modern day vernacular, except for if you're reconciling your bank account, you're making it all line up. But spiritually speaking, it looks like this. It starts with this. First of all, there's a separation. You wanna be reconciled? How does reconciliation, here's here's where we're headed. I'm just gonna give you the pattern. You can have reconciliation with God. You can be right with God. And my desire, the Lord's desire, is that you would be right with God. So how does that happen when that peace comes to you? There's an understanding that you are separate from God. You are broken, busted, disgusted, a wretch and a worm, destined to go to hell except for his grace. You have no good thing in you. You have to come to that. I, I read something a couple weeks ago, it stuck with me, I shared it with Cheryl. I was talking about someone saying, you know, I don't, I don't, 
I don't, I, I don't deserve a second chance with God. You ever heard anybody say that? I don't deserve a second chance. And this person said, you know what? You didn't deserve the first chance. What made you think you deserved the first chance? There's nothing in you. There's nothing in you. That's the separation. We are separated from God from the moment we're born. All have sinned, Romans 3.23. That means everybody. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if that's the case, then we have to admit there is a need to be reconciled. So here is God over here, and here we are back here on the other side of this cavern. We cannot get there by ourselves. Oh, we try. We try to get there with good deeds. If I just do more good things than bad things, then I'll be okay. Then when I die, I'll go to heaven. That's not the Bible. That's not the gospel. That's an American perversion of what the good news is. There is no work you can do that's good enough to earn your way to heaven. It is only by grace, his grace, his unmerited favor, his riches purchased for you through Jesus Christ that allows you to partner with heaven in your brokenness. So there's an understanding that I can't get there. So I have to somehow get there. We try all kinds of things, our good works. We try philosophy. We think money. We think doing the right thing, going to church, reading the Bible. There's a lot of people that go to church and read their Bible that won't be in heaven. There are professors in seminary that won't be in heaven because it has not anything to do with what you know. It's who you know. So there is a need, which then brings us to the glorious invitation. Get it. It's God's initiative. Well, I, can't, I understand the paradox and I understand the theology of it. Those are, my, those are my expertise. But I want you to ride this surfboard with me. There is nothing you can do. He has already made the invitation. Well, I came up and I, I, you know, I tapped him on the back. Hey, Jesus, I'll take you. No, he's been pursuing you. It was his initiative from the beginning. It's, it's all about him, not you, not your effort, not my effort. Totally, if there's any effort on my part that assures me of my salvation, that's blasphemy. God took the initiative. It says in Romans chapter five, verse eight, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet or still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. We had done no good thing, nothing good. And God says, you know what? I love them so much. I'm gonna die for them in hopes that one day, I'm gonna take the initiative. God sent his son, as the wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father, he sent his son. God always has taken the initiative. He's chasing you right now. Well, I turned my back on God. Well, then God comes around to the front of me and goes, hello, we're gonna do this again. And I, and I would venture to say 
to speculate. Let's hypothesize for those of you that have already given your life to God. And when you say, I've given my life to God, you could probably at that moment then look back over time and see how God was making the initiative in your life through your mom, through your grandma, through your grandpa, through a Springfield police officer, through the judge. All of these things that happened in your life trying to get your attention. Don't do that. Don't go down that road. Trust me. He made the initiative. God always takes the first step. I like that. He made the first move. Which is really hard. I'm just going to uh, just tell you, you know, in, in your dating relationship, you know, who's gonna make the first move? There you are on the junior high school gymnasium. And, and there she is on the other side of the gym with all of her little girlfriends. Huh? Who's gonna make the first move? God came and made the first move. He said, hey, will you dance with me? All right. So you want peace? You gotta understand that Jesus is the only mediator. There's a lot of things out there that vie to be the mediator. But 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man. You do not need me, you do not need me to go to God in prayer. You don't need a priest to go to God in prayer. You can go by yourself. It's called the priesthood of the believer. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, it says in Peter. That's you, you are the priest of your home. When you come in here and you gather with all of us, we are a gathering of priests to minister to who? To the Lord, through our worship, through our praise, through our giving. That's what we do here. But he is the only mediator. There is no other mediator. Put your crystals away. Burn your, burn your little, uh, what do you call it? All that other junk. It's just junk. It's just Filthy rags, your little dream catchers and your little, your little pyramids and your, 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 your crystals and your incense and all that other kind of stuff. If you ascribe, if you ascribe worth to that, that's a bad, 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 bad thing. I'm not saying you can't have a rock in your house or you can't burn some incense, some pine scented incense at Christmas. It's, what, it's the value you ascribe to it. Oh, this, this helps me. It, no, 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 nothing helps you. You're useless, you're worthless. The only help you can have is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let me just tell you this. In college language, you have 101, 201, 301, 401 college level classes. None of us in this life ever graduate past Jesus 101. And as soon as somebody starts sticking their nose in the air like they got all the answers, just take a step back. Just take a step back because you don't want to get hit by the lightning bolt that's about to drop over there. <laughs> Remain humble, please. He's the only mediator. John 14, 6, Jesus answered. He said, I am the. It's in, in English and in Greek, it's a definite article. 
Definite article meaning the, like the pulpit, the floor, the couch. Not any old couch, not any old pulpit, but the. Jesus said of himself, I am the. Definite article, I am the way, the only way. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Hare Krishna, not Islam, none of that. That is all false. They're delusions. They are lies of the enemy. Those are false religions. I'm trying to decide if I have time to give you some church history. Uh, you, you, I'll, I'll be brief. The Islam is the religion. Muhammad is their false prophet. Allah is their false god. Their god, Allah, is not our god. Please understand. That God is not my God. Oh, we all pray to the same God. We should all go to a multi-interfaith, interfaith, blah. Interfaith. I'm not gonna be a part of that, sorry. Just not going to. I went to one. I'm gonna wax here for a second. I went to one. I went to the, main, no, the governor's prayer breakfast. I was one of the prayers. This was a number of years ago, and I since go, I stopped going. Because the guy before me started praying for bugs. How we were all bug, he was Buddhist, so we, we, you know, we were honoring bugs and insects. Because, you know, that could be your grandfather. <laughs> Reincarnate. You laugh, ladies and gentlemen, people who stake their lives on lies. Islam is a lie. It's from the pit of hell. It's, it's, it's against... It's against, yes, Lord, I know. <laughs> the God of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name was turned to Israel. These are our patriarchs, the fathers of faith. Well, when... Israel was driven from the land in AD 70. Don't gloss over. Some of you just glossed over when I said AD 70. It's a real year. I know it's hard for us to sometimes manage thinking of anything beyond our own lifetime. But World War II happened. World War I happened. Civil War happened. Back to AD 70, the Jews inhabited Jerusalem and, and the Romans were just done with all that Jesus stuff and kicked them out. And the Jews didn't have a country until the 1940s. They had a land, but they weren't allowed to be there. Long story. So what happened was the temple, the second temple that was stood on the Temple Mount where the gold dome, the gold dome, when you see pictures of Israel, the dome of the rock, they call that. Well, what rock would that be? That would be the rock where Abraham lifted his, his uh, knife to slay his son Isaac. It's Mount Moriah. It's where Jesus was taken to be tempted to thrown off the pinnacle. That, that mountain. Well, now the Muslims are there. Well, how did they get there? Well, there's been animosity between Isaac and Ishmael for two millennia, millennia and millennia, three millennia. So what happens is the Jews are driven out and then in the year 600, wait a second, six centuries later, 600 years later, a madman by the name of Muhammad has some sort of epiphany that he is, he is, the, 
he is now the prophet of God and he makes some crazy writings and he's a, he's a pedophile and a whole bunch of other stuff and stuff like that will put a target on me and I understand that. There'll be a day when I say stuff like that that I'll be locked up in prison, please come visit me. Because that's hate speech. That's hate speech. But it's the truth and I'm called to speak truth. So, so it was in 600, listen to me, 600 is when Islam was invented as a religion. Who was it invented by? The descendants of Ishmael, who were at odds against the patriarch Isaac and Jacob, Israel. Well, they're not here right now. We wanna take what belonged to Israel. So we march ourselves into Israel and we say, oh, look at this holy rock where they used to have the first temple and the second temple. Why don't we build our own temple on top of that rock? And that's why there's a Dome of the Rock in Israel itself today as a Muslim mosque sitting on the place where Abraham lifted his knife over Isaac. Don't you think there's gonna be a little tension over all that? Let me tell you this, that no matter how much land Israel were ever to give to Arabs slash Palestinians, there will not be peace until the prince of peace returns. I don't care if they gave all the land to the Arabs, they would still want the death of the descendants of Israel. Because why? Because from that lineage came Hamashiach, came the Messiah. That's why. Wow, I thought we were talking about peace. Yeah, we are. Well, that was me telling you that Jesus is the only mediator. All right, so he's the only mediator for what? Forgiveness and reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18, all this is from God who reconciled, underline them in your mind, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was, verse 19, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting man's sins against him, and he, as he committed us the message of reconciliation or restoration to make us new again. It is only through his peace this happens that brings us to Jesus. Peace, John 14, 27, resulting in peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. The promise of peace. He is the ruler over chaos. He brings shalom. And he is the restorer of the relationship. Romans 5a, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The prince of peace, the keeper of the peace. I like this. He's the bringer of the peace. He's the keeper of the peace. And you, have you ever heard of the term? Maybe you have. They generally wear long black robes and we call them the justice of the peace. Oh. The sheriff is called the keeper of the peace and the judge is called the justice of the peace. But God says through Jesus, he is the bringer of the peace. He is the enforcer. No power has power except God has given it to them. 
He can bring peace to your chaos. He can bring peace to your conflict, meaning whole, complete, well-being, soundness in body, mind, and spirit, to restore a right relationship with God. That's what Jesus has done for us. For unto us, this season we remember, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. Listen, I'm not anti-counselor, but if you don't spend some time with the wonderful counselor, you're gonna be with human counselors your entire life. Early, early on in my ministry, 30 some odd years ago, I was a little, I was a little more abrasive than I am today. And um, uh, I, is that funny? And I told the congregation, I told the congregation, listen, why would you want to have come see me and counsel with me if you've not spent time with the wonderful counselor? You should really go spend some time with the wonderful counselor before you come and talk with me. So here's what we're gonna do. From now on, when you call me and you say, hey, Pastor, I wanna get together and have a talk with you. I'm really going through some stuff. Then what we're gonna do is we're gonna schedule a, I think I said two-hour meeting, but I, today I wouldn't do two hours. I'd do like an hour and 15 minutes. Here's why. Because the first hour, you're gonna go to the auditorium, we're gonna put some music on, you're just gonna pray for an hour. And then you're gonna come into my office and you're gonna tell me what the Holy Spirit told you so that I can agree with the Holy Spirit. And that's how our counseling sessions will go. That will help your psyche a lot, ladies and gentlemen. Because it's so much easier to go to a person and get their opinion and you start making the list of pros and cons and should I or shouldn't I. How about you just go to the Holy Spirit? that Hannah preached on last week. Go to Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, you know what? I don't have a lot of peace in my life right now. I got things with my family. I got things with my friends. I got things with my money. I got things with my health. I got things with my house. I got things with my job. There's just not a lot of peace. He says, well, come away with me. Spend some time with me. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. Turn your eyes to Jesus the prince, the keeper, the guardian of peace in your life. Stand with me this morning, please. I'm gonna ask the altar workers, the prayer team to come down front, the staff. And if you need someone to pray with you this morning, I'm gonna invite you out right now. Step on out, move with these people, come to the front. Just say, I've got to have some peace in my life. I need Holy Spirit to minister to me this morning. Come on down, step out right now. The person next to you, they'll move. They'll, they'll step aside. Say, excuse me, pardon me. I'm just gonna go down there. I'm gonna get some prayer. I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna have the Prince of Peace show up in my life this morning. The promise, the promise of the prophet. The promise of Jesus himself. Let the Prince of Peace come to your life today and grant you his peace. Addictions broken in the name of Jesus by the peace of God. Come on down. New beginning in your marriage right now. Come on down. Torment at night, waking up in the middle of the night, having destructive thoughts. Have peace this morning. Come on down. Have these people pray for you. Let the Prince of Peace 
would come to your heart today. We all need more peace. That peace is not a thing. That peace is a person. And he is the prince of peace. He is the keeper, the bringer of peace. His name is Jesus. Turn that music up a little bit. I'm going to give you an opportunity to step out right now. Come on down front. Say, excuse me, pardon me. I'm going to step, go down. Men with men, women with women. We like to keep it that way. Well, let's just have a moment here. Maybe you're here with your husband, your wife, your friend, your family, your child. You just want to reach over and grab them by the hand and just bless them this morning. Could you just take a minute and pray for your loved one this morning that's here? Put a hand on their shoulder. It's okay. Turn, face them. Take the time right now. Say, God, just minister peace to them as we hurl towards the end of this year. Oh God, Prince of Peace, Jesus, come and be the center of our home. Be the center of our lives. Bring the peace of God that transcends our understanding. Guard our hearts today. Guard our minds. God, be the center of our life. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Bring peace. Go ahead. Just find somebody. Put a hand on their shoulder. Say, God, just let the peace of heaven, let the peace of heaven, let Jesus, the peace of heaven, come and just lay on you like a, like a warm blanket on a cold night. May your peace be on us. May your peace be with us. Oh, Prince of Peace. Be with us, God. For unto us a child is born. Unto us the son is given. And he is the prince, the prince of peace. Father, we love you today. If you've never given your life to God and you're ready to do that now, just lift your hand to heaven. Yes, step on out. Come on down. We will pray for you. Yep, step on out. We will pray for you. We'll introduce you to supernatural peace. The God of destruction, your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He's distracting you and he ultimately wants to kill you with the chaos of your life. But God is the king of of all chaos. He rules. He rules over all destruction. He is the God of peace. And the God of peace will crush Satan. And the God of peace will crush Satan. And the God of peace will crush Satan. Thank you, God, for your peace today. Thank you for leading us beside still waters. For pouring in the oil and the wine. For bandaging us up. For putting us on a donkey and taking us to a place of health. Thank you for the compassion and embrace. Thank you that you are God Almighty. And as this season unfolds, God, may there be peace in our homes and may there be peace in our lives. Peace in our hearts, not brought by a new toy, a new widget, a new tool, a new car, a new home. But may that peace come that that passes understanding and guards our hearts. May that peace be Jesus, the center of our hearts and the center of our lives. May God himself 
1 Thessalonians 5.23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a message from Destiny Church in Springfield, Illinois. To learn more about our ministry, visit the episode description where you can find links to our website, ways to give, and more about who we are. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationship. Relationship.